Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com, here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Red Raiders Football Podcast. Brought to you each week by the AJ Media Sports Department. I'm Don Williams, Texas Tech football beat writer. Alongside me is our AJ Media Sports Editor, Carlos Silva, Jr., Texas Tech. Coming off a uh, 55-16 loss Saturday up in Norman to the Oklahoma Sooners and Red Raiders facing uh, both the Oklahoma teams back-to-back, back-to-back 11 a.m. games. This week it's Oklahoma State in Jones AT&T Stadium at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Carlos, uh, Red Raiders uh, go into this one 2-2. Two and two. Oklahoma State's 4-1. and one. Cowboys 10 a or pardon me, Cowboys 10 point favorite at last look, and Red Raiders have to uh, pick themselves up quickly because it's uh, not going to get a whole lot easier this week than it was last week. No, it certainly won't. They have uh, another uh, trio of really good uh, athletes. Spencer Sanders leading the way, the dual threat quarterback for the Oklahoma State uh, Cowboys, and of course you got Chuba Hubbard, and of course you got a guy named Tillon Wallace as well who. I believe uh, Matt Wells had kind of described as the same kind of uh, type of player as C.D. Lamb in terms of the way that he's speedy, can make plays the on the 50-50 balls and all those sorts of things. So certainly it's going to be another uh, tough challenge for the Red Raiders. But when you look at it, 2-2, two and two, not too bad through four games. Maybe uh, you kind of consider the Arizona game the toss-up that you could have either started with that with that win and you're 3-1 and one right now. But I think 2-2, two and two, not too bad considering – uh, what, what's been going on, and not only that, but it kind of sets you up for uh, at least you're still mathematically in the running for a bowl game. Yeah, <laughs> mathematically. Now you said now you said two and two, not too bad. But after uh, Tech, Tech, a lot of Tech fans have, uh, from what they've seen of the offense the last couple of weeks and uh, what they saw of the defense last week, it's that time when uh, um, people are looking at their schedules and saying, "Where are the wins going to come from?" Will this team win another game? Can they beat anybody left on the schedule but Kansas? Well, here's the thing, Don, is like two weeks ago I asked you this question. How many games are we into this season? Three. They were two and one coming off that loss to Arizona. Yes, there was a 99-yard drive where they ran the ball all the way down on the Red Raiders who were tired at that point, that defense. Yes, you can look at the defensive effort. They made some mistakes. But here's the thing. Kansas is going to be playing Oklahoma this weekend in Norman. I'm pretty sure the same exact result is going to happen to the Jayhawks, who were, if I'm not mistaken, palacked by TCU, who is uh, starting a freshman quarterback right now, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So there's going to be a lot of teams that get beat up by Oklahoma this year because by, by, by and large, that is the best team in the Big 12 right now. Texas, I suppose you could make a case for number two. But after that, it's really a toss-up with, with the way things have been kind of shaping out. Maybe Baylor's kind of on a roll if you want to kind of consider that. But no one's really been kind of a gangbuster, so to speak, other than Oklahoma, at least in my view. 
Yeah, Oklahoma and Texas, and after that, kind of put them in a bag, and they could shake out in a lot of different combinations. Um, we uh, solicit questions from you, the listener, each week. About via, anything you'd like. Via Yeah, via our Twitter accounts. Uh, we go. Uh, let's go quickly into questions. Sure. Brandon Bridwell, you can follow him at Birdman653, says, when is Alan Bowman going to return? I would guess... This is just a, this is just a guesstimate on my part. I would say probably it's going to be at least another month. I don't know that season ending because because uh, Matt Wells has been pretty clear uh, that if a player is going to be out for the season, he will announce that the player is out for yeah. the season, and he has done that with uh, you know a couple of guys like a Gilbert e. Benemy, mm-hmm. one of the young defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So he's so he's kind of stuck to that. So. If he, since he has not announced Alan Bowman is out for the season, I believe Alan Bowman will return at some point or will at least be back to where he can be, where he can play in games at some point. My guess is, though, you're probably looking at at least another month. The, the earliest, I would think, that he would, might be able to return, maybe, maybe uh, coming off the next open date, going into that November 9th game at West Virginia, possibly. If he were back by then, that would give him the possibility of having four games left to play. Yep. That may be ambitious because, you know, we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, Tech could get into a situation where if Alan Bowman is healthy with two or three games left in the season, would you deliberately hold him back because he only has one game left to play to maintain his red shirt? I mean, it's a very good question, Don. And, I mean, here's the other thing, too, is do you really want to have a guy come back on the road at West Virginia in a place where, obviously, it's going to be a very raucous atmosphere? Or do you kind of wait another week? And, as you kind of mentioned, you still got three games left at that point. But while you're at home against TCU, yes, it's going to be a tough defense that you're going to be playing against. But it's a, a team where... Clearly, Alan Bowman is very familiar with them. He didn't play against them last year. It's a team that Jet Duffy's at least familiar with to where you know what you can do uh, with uh, his talents. But at this point, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I know uh, Coach Wells hasn't said that Alan Bowman is going to be out for the rest of the season, but he has an injury where it can either heal well or heal not well. And the the one example I can use is Seth Collins. We haven't heard his name kind of mentioned that much, and he had the collarbone injury early in spring, and we haven't really heard much from him. Yeah, and you, well, here's the thing about Seth Collins. It's a good point that you brought that up because Seth Collins was injured in March. Uh, initial prognosis was he would be back ready to go by yep, August fall. 1st, beginning of preseason practice. And uh, he has not returned and probably is not close to returning. So, uh, I, I, so I, again, I, I think Alan Bowman will be back, but uh, I would not hold my breath or cross my fingers uh, probably within the next month or so. Best case scenario, you obviously keep his red shirt. You keep that year if you can. But obviously, as we've talked about before on previous podcasts, it's like you have to see where everything is. And I think that's really the X factor here is say you're, again, I, I am totally being hypothetical here. Say you're at that five win uh, f- five win mark, and you have Kansas one. State and Texas. Do you want Alan Bowman for those two games, or do you want to try and get to bowl eligibility? I mean, th- th- there's a lot of factors in here that you can kind of look at. Or are you at that four, and you feel like if you have Alan Bowman, you have a better chance to win? And maybe those last four games we were talking about, that being at West Virginia, TCU at home, Kansas State at home, at Texas. So 
it's just one of those things. But let's just get back to questions because I'm tired of being being this. Uh, Tug, Rick, Tug Ricks asked, is the main reason coaches don't seem to like Duffy is attitude, work ethic, leadership, both? Um, you know what? I think the stuff that we've heard this week was pretty enlightening and, and pretty specific. When you uh, Matt Wells and David Yost both have spoken real highly of uh, Jet Duffy's attitude and that he is really all in and he's really committed. The things that they have uh, – sort of questioned about him are um, getting the taking the signal from the sideline relaying it to the other 10 guys on the offense Um, so pre-snap operation getting everybody on the same page and then post-snap throwing the foot does he is he going to throw the football on time is he going to throw the football with anticipation, which is David Yo said a couple of weeks ago. That's a big part of college football. And is he going to make the correct uh, decision to where he throws said football, or does he tuck it in and run? Yeah, yeah. Because we talked at length, obviously, ad nauseum for the last couple of years yes. about uh, the questions about Jet Duffy's ball security issues. But mm-hmm. the last, just within the last, uh, you know, since the game ended on Saturday, and a uh, question arose: Why Tyner over Duffy? What was Tyner doing better? And, Matt he was Will practicing said, better. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt Will said, yeah. though, specifically he was getting the ball downfield better where it needed to be, throwing the ball on time. David Yost said earlier this week, you know, the question with one of the things he has to uh, get better at is throwing the football on time. Yeah. And, again, a couple of weeks ago he talked about throwing the foot, the importance of, if you're a college football quarterback, throwing the football with anticipation, being delivering the ball where uh, it's going to get to the receiver, you know, coming out of his break. So again, it's it, and I thought it was. I thought those observations were real interesting because they the things they specifically talked about that they really liked about Jed Duffy is he's been very uh, attentive in meetings. He's been asking a lot of questions. He has been coming back to the sideline after pl- after the plays on Saturday, coming back to the sideline after series at Oklahoma, communicating what he's seeing, and Matt Will saying he's spot on. Um, they liked his attitude, feel like he's committed, he's bought in. But uh, a lot of it's that pre-snap operation, getting getting the signal, getting the other 10 guys ready to go. And then, like I say, throwing it on time, throwing it with anticipation. I think those are the things that, based on what we've heard over the last week or two, have is why he has been kind of held back. Now, let, let, let's just say this, too. Obviously, Jackson Tyner was practicing really well. And unfortunately, you cannot simulate, Don, how many people were at uh, the Oklahoma Stadium, the old Gaylord, if you had to guess? Uh, 80-something. So obviously you have a bunch of crowd noise. It's your first game that you are going to actually start. And again, I'm not making excuses for this, but I'm just putting the scenario here. A kid that I believe he had three starts. Three starts, yeah. Before he, yeah, at Rice, where, uh, let me see, I'm going to have to really knock off the cobwebs here for the Conference USA stadiums. The Sun Bowl's about 50. Uh, Rice Stadium has a pretty big uh, pretty big uh, attendance there, but the problem is is a lot of people just don't go to the games. So Yeah, I don't know. Do they have, they have plenty of space. They don't have a great attendance. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a lot of places. Maybe Marshall, you might have seen a pretty big crowd, but the thing is is you are not going to replicate the – I'm trying to think of the word right now, but I guess the urgency – 
if, if that's the correct word in terms of... Well, the noise. Well, the no, well I, I'm, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe he didn't realize how nervous he would get yeah, because that's what he looked like when he was standing back there. It looked like he was just kind of figuring things out on the fly. Like, literally, it was like the first time he was probably playing quarterback, and it's just tough because you have all these athletes and maybe you're not used to the speed of the game, and then you're still trying to obviously process everything that's going on. And when the plays don't work or you're throw is bad and obviously the fans get on you it's just a bunch of pile a bunch of piling on and it just obviously turned into jed duffy who obviously came in had some big 12 experience so it's not a situation where maybe he's not he's not uh foreign to it and i think that's what helped him be successful along with the fact that he's also a pretty good runner i think that opened up a a few things for him because it seemed like the ou defense backed off a little bit when they knew they couldn't just kind of go after the guy yeah moving on jeff lofton Asking, besides just seeing progress, what is a guesstimate on a win total Matt Wells would have to have over the next two and a half years to keep his job? Man, why do people have to ask for win total time? (laughs) Ten. It's funny funny you said that because I was thinking the the number ten also. I don't mean ten in a season. I mean ten over the next – Two and a half years. I literally just would, uh, pull that would, out of, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that, but that's what I was thinking, yeah. the same number. Because, yeah. uh, well, here's the thing. I, I don't think uh, Matt Wells is going to be needing I – I don't think Texas Tech's going to be looking for a head coach. I agree with that, at sooner, least three to four years. Sooner than four years. In four years. Yeah, at least let him get his recruits in, give him a year to – show that you can kind of obviously develop said recruits, at least in that first one or two recruiting classes. I think that's fair. I, I would think that's why you sign him to a six-year deal. You kind of show him and whoever sticks with him with this staff that they are here for the long haul. So you kind of build that continuity. The strength and conditioning staff obviously needs a couple years to kind of figure that thing out. The kids have to buy in. I know that's a word everyone seems to be saying ad nauseum as well as buy in, but, I mean, you seriously need that. You have an old coaching staff with a bunch of kids that obviously committed to them. Now you kind of have to find the same thing with Matt Wells and company, and you certainly have found that with some guys this year, but clearly you have to get the whole team on there, which they are on there at least according to the coaches, but it's just a matter of the wins and losses won't be there because of the talent disparity. I mean, we've talked about it. If you have an Antoine Wesley – it helps a little bit because then you have a second. Uh, then you can throw the ball. Yeah, you? yeah, downfield threat with T.J. Vasher and kind of things turn a little bit around for the offense. But the funny thing I find on is when people on Twitter are saying, "Well, this would have been different with Kingsbury." Really? Well, uh, probably, well, it would have, well, it would be from this standpoint. You'd have the continuity. Guys would already would know what they're doing. I don't think. Uh, I think. But do you think I think what you're seeing offensively. What you're seeing offensively, though, is a natural. Um, uh, kind of bridge here. I mean, we've, yeah. talk, we've talked about well, we've talked about how bad Mike Leach's offense looked in 2000, yeah. and how uh, rough it looked the first year of Tommy Tuberville's offense with Neil Brown. Neil Brown's shown that he can coach. Yeah. Didn't look good the first year. Mike Leach has shown that he can coach. Didn't look good. The offense didn't look good the first year. I think this is another example of. David Yost has proven in the past he can coach. The offense hasn't looked very good in the first month. So let me kind of make you – But it gets better. So I guess let let me see if I can kind of knock the cobwebs off for you, Don. Is this team that Matt Wells has inherited more talented than the team that Cliff Kingsbury inherited? Uh, I don't think so because the team that Cliff Kingsbury inherited, uh, you're talking a lot of guys who made the the NFL. NFL. 
I mean, a lot of guys are still in the NFL. So, so I guess that's my point is I think people are, again, I'm trying not to make excuses here, but I'm just trying to put some parameters here is that you're looking for a team or Matt Wells inherited a team. There's a reason so many graduate transfers were, were brought in to try and kind of fill some holes. There was a reason there were some Juco transfers or some other guys that were brought in to fill some holes. And clearly you have now seen what happens when a player gets injured or a player can't come in or a player gets ejected due to a, a helmet to helmet or one of those personal foul penalties. They are not that deep right now. And I think people that say, yes, the offense may be a little bit better if you want to say that. But the thing is, is without Antoine Wesley, that offense does not work last year either. Like that's the thing. You had a thousand yard wide receiver that you do not have this year. There's a reason. 1,400. You know, 1,400, I mean, pardon me. Well, in the golf award, yeah. semifinalist. Feel free to. Feel well, free to make fun leaders. of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that, that's my point, Don, is like pe- people are – I understand everyone is in this immediacy type of era, but the, the thing is, is you just kind of have to wait it out. You have to go game by game, which we'll see how they go against OSU. May may not have all the talent that Oklahoma has. If, if I had to guess, they probably have two or three guys that could probably start on the Oklahoma Oklahoma roster, if you would think about it. Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State has guys well, that could probably you, start for them. Chuba could probably start for them if they wanted to, I think. Oh, for, you're talking about Oklahoma State guys yes. that start for Oklahoma? Yeah, yeah. Chuba, Hubbard, Tillin. Where, uh, Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. I haven't seen um, enough of Spencer yet. Maybe Marcus Keyes on the offensive line. Yeah. Not sure on the defensive guys, but uh, I would say yeah. – I would say at least – I would say three offensive guys anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, here's the thing is, like, you're going to play a team that's not as – no, I shouldn't say not as athletic, but doesn't have the skill position players that maybe you were going to see. I, I, well, I'll tell you what, I think Oklahoma State's skill position is second-best Oklahoma's. If not, I mean, they're right there. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I certainly agree and I th- that. And, and I've ranked Oklahoma State uh, – I've got them ranked number 15 this week in my poll. I mean, that's oh, a, that's a real good football team. They really are, but we'll see how good they are when they come to play Texas Tech. And I think that's going to be the difference here, Don, is can the defense keep everything in front of them instead of have everything – kind of fall behind them because I thought that was really the biggest difference is they allowed the big plays to happen against Jalen Hurts, which we mentioned Jalen Hurts can throw the ball a lot better than Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate missed some of those downfield passes. Jalen Hurts did not, and I thought that was the difference. It kind of allowed the Sooners to win amongst the, obviously, the 17 points they spotted them early on. Uh, let's see. Next question is by Nunya, and you can follow him at M.I. Embry. Man, what is this? Shouting out people now? <laughs> Oh, we'll help people with their Twitter followers. So he's going to get two now. <laughs> Who are the red shirt O-line and D-line prospects to watch for next year? That's so, okay, all you. So, looking down the roster, red shirt offensive line prospects. A uh, couple of big tackles. Trevor Robertson from Wellington. Yep. Who is, uh, he's pretty tall. Seven feet from the list. Tech lists him at 6'11. Tech lists Trevor Robertson at 6'11, 345. He told me when he committed he was seven foot and 370. Yeah, he, he was he pretty is big. A, uh, he was pretty big. He was as large an individual as I can remember ever playing for the Red Raiders. On the other side, uh, the other offensive tackle, Lander Peterson from Odessa Permian, you know, he was 6'6, 265 when they signed him. They now list him at 6'6, 285. This guy has a really good frame. Probably will be, you know, Quickly get to the 295, 300-pound range. Tech's going to need young offensive tackles because you lose uh, Terrence Steele and Travis Bruffy after this year. So it'll be interesting to see if one of the redshirt freshmen will be ready next year uh, or if those jobs go to 
guys like a uh, Zach Adams, uh, Casey Verholst. Casey Verholst mm-hmm. actually be in line for one of those jobs. Maybe mm-hmm. Zach Adams for the other. Or if, uh, again, we'll see if Landon Robertson or, or, pardon me, Trevor Robertson or Landon Peterson's ready. Defensive line-wise, uh, Gilbert E. Benamy, yep. about 6'3", 275. Coming off Maryland. an injury. Exactly. He's a guy who's had season-ending injury already back in August. Um, so it'll take him a while. But this guy who had good high school, was a pretty heavily recruited high school player. Other, yep. The other defensive lineman that's uh, red-shirting this year, that's kind of going to be an interesting prospect, I think, is Quentin Williams, who is not – who is not a real high-profile recruit, but he's a guy with a great frame, 6'5", 230 pounds. I think they want to play him at uh, that Raider position, that kind yeah. of hybrid defensive end outside linebacker spot. And uh, he's probably the kind of guy who can grow into be a 6'5", 250-pounder. Again, not a uh, real high-profile recruit, but a guy that maybe he's one of those diamond-in-the-rough guys that can really – turn it on and be something when he's been in the program for two, three, four years out of Clear Lake? That was certainly a good question there, and I, I know I was joking. He has under 34 followers, so he he, he has a nice following on the old Twitters. Uh, Fabio Naldino, Naldino 5, rings in with, do we have a shot at winning this game? Again, Oklahoma State, 10-point favorite. Carlos? At 10 points, I mean, like I said, as long as you don't make a mistake – I think you have a chance. The problem is, is do you give up those big plays over the top? That 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 was where I felt Texas Tech just really hurt themselves, shot themselves in the foot. Because when you're struggling on offense, the last thing you need is to give the ball back to the offense because they're struggling at that point. The thing you need to do is try and create some turnovers, which is something that they certainly need to do. And the way you create turnovers is make the opposing offense have a long drive, Force them into third downs, third and longs if you need to, if you need to blitz at certain points. Obviously, Keith Patterson has mentioned that he isn't uh, as, I guess, an orthodox, if you want to call it that, in terms of he'll blitz on downs we're not expecting it to be. But I certainly think if you can create a couple turnovers, you can force Oklahoma State not to have, like, maybe five play drives where they have that big – that big play at the end of that, I think I think they'll be in a good position to win. I mean, I picked them on the pick'em line for what that's. You're worth. picking Texas Tech. I did. Goodness gracious! Well, I hate to I hate to say this, Texas Tech fans, but you picked I, a win. I, w- I would take Oklahoma State and give the points. I think the mm. yeah, I think Oklahoma State will cover. I'm surprised that the line is only ten. Good um, race. Again, I hate to uh, I hate to be that way for you, Tech no. fans, but. Uh, I, and again, I, I I seem to value Oklahoma State more highly than I think just about anybody. Uh, being a poll voter, I have them ranked number fifteen. I ranked them number yeah. fifteen. Coaches have them twenty five in the AP. They're twenty one. But I just think that that those that big play offense that they have, nobody has stopped Hubbard yet. Nobody's even slowed him down. And the other thing that I think scares you is Spencer Sanders, who's only a redshirt freshman quarterback. He's already rushed for 380 yards in the first five games. He's the guy, another one of these guys like Tate, like Hurts, that you can have people covered. Uh, and, he, and he can – third and seven. Yeah. And he can still break out and run for 15 yards and, and leave you cussing because uh, you did everything right, but he still runs for the first down. He's a you know dual threat, a true dual threat guy. Uh, not just that he can keep plays alive, but mm-hmm. that he can take off and run and really break your back. Um, 
And so I think containing him, holding Hubbard to, yeah, I don't know what the target should be. I mean, he's, he's averaging, what, 180 yards per game? Uh, I can look that up if he be top for a little bit. I mean, you're talking about the nation's rushing leader. Uh, 187 a game. 187 a game. Combination of Sanders and him and Wallace. Again, Wallace is a Blitnikoff Award mm-hmm. finalist last year. And then, you know, a couple other guys. I mean, like a Dylan Stoner is a real solid veteran slot receiver that they have. Um, Their team was a, you know, it's a team with a lot of offensive weapons, I think. I think Keith Patterson and those guys really have their hands full again, just like you know, just like last week, just like the week before with with Tate and company. Well, it's good to know we've turned into a betting podcast too. So, <laughs> so for those that want to take the points, there you go, Donald. That guy, that kind of that guy ties into our next question or one of the questions that we got past Ryan King of Ryan King. Now you know Ryan King, local television uh, King things and his top twenty five where he bugs you all the time. Ryan asked uh, Ryan pelted us with questions, said, is this defense built to slow ASU, OSU's running attack? Well, I think we, we kind of just covered that one. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if anybody is built to slow. I don't know they're Hogan. built, but they're certainly going to try. They're going to try. <laughs> I don't know if they're built to. <laughs> you know. Well, the, you know, again, the thing is, with, with Wallace on the outside, with one of the nation's best receivers and with yep. one of the nation's best running backs, I don't know that you can really cheat. If you cheat on either one of them, I mean, if you gear up to stop the run, you're going to leave Wallace one-on-one. If you uh, if you gear up to stop Wallace with extra coverage, then it's going to be a light box, and Wallace is going to kill you. Well, the other thing too is you mentioned another guy that had a really good game last year, Dylan Stoner. Everyone forgets about him, and he was the guy that was just getting these quick little. I guess uh, he finds the, the little pocket in the zone and just kind of you know runs yeah. around. So. He's a guy. He's, he's a guy that Tech recruited that Cliff. You know, yeah. That Cliff and those guys wanted to, you know another kind of Welker, Eric Morris, Danny Amendola type. Ryan also asked, second, do the paddle people affect your concentration on writing articles? I don't know what the paddle people are, Don. That's all you know. <laughs> Carlos, the paddle people, the, no. folk, the students there at, at Oklahoma State who uh, have the paddles that they slam against the uh, – they rhythmically slam against the uh, side of the stadium. I just call them annoying. No, they, they, they don't, Ryan. They haven't. Uh, Ryan also, he gets – his questions kind of evolve – Discuss the moral implication of East-West stadiums. I don't. Yeah. East-West stadiums, uh, like they have Oklahoma, up at Oklahoma State, those are immoral, Ryan, because uh, they make uh, they make you drive into the sun. Where either you're looking into the sun, or if you're a receiver, you have a ball coming, you're looking back over your shoulder, and you're blinded by the sunlight. So, no, they should probably outlaw those. True story, trivia. If I remember correctly, I think the first organized football game I ever played in seventh grade for the Crest Kangaroos. We played at Hale Center. If I remember correctly, Hale Center's is an East-West Stadium as well. I, yeah, they should. They, they may as well ban those. Well, there you go. The old owls bringing the ire of Don Williams. So, uh, Barry Partain asked or makes the statement: "I'd like to see Tech run the ball more, especially with the passing game sputtering. Make opponents commit to stopping the run, especially with a dual threat quarterback. We'll get there. You know what, Barry? I, I think based on what we've seen from." Uh, Sir Roderick Thompson last week, uh, you, you may see a little more run game because um, he's just, I think he's kind of coming into his own. We're talking to you know big physical back who has a little bit of speed. Can uh, catch it out of the backfield. For, you know, can catch it out of the backfield. He broke that run for 58 yards on yeah. Saturday up at OU. 
you know, Shine, you kind of, I think you kind of know what you got with Armand Shine. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty solid, pretty productive so far. I'll be interested to see this week. Shine left last week's game against Oklahoma with uh, an ankle injury. You know, so it'll be interesting to see if he is back this week or if he is still kind of held out or slowed by that. But I think, uh, you know, with, uh, with what Sir Roderick Thompson has shown so far, it wouldn't surprise me if you give him, say, 15 or so carries a game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he can handle that. Cowboys defense has given up about 94 yards a game on the ground. So, I mean, you have a chance to maybe run it. Uh, Robert Shoemake at Shoe DFW. There you go. Says uh, the reload, not rebuild. The reload, not rebuild seems to be meaningless propaganda to boost season ticket sales as opposed to reality. We're not even close to middle of the pack in the Big Twelve. I don't necessarily I don't That's necessarily disagree with you, That's Robert, <laughs> because I understand where Matt Wells is coming from in, uh, on that. It's not what uh, on December first the fans don't want to hear you say, "Man, I'm walking into a situation. Uh, I won eleven games at Utah State, and there's more talent up there than there is here in Lubbock. This is going to be a rebuild, everybody." Give me a give me a few years. Yeah. Well, well, imagine the reaction if he had said that. So, was Matt Wells being a little bit disingenuous? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he, he wants to. He needs. He wants people fired up, getting on board. You got to win um, the press conference, which he did. So he did. Got to win the press conference. Also, also point out though that he, you know, he made that statement before Antoine Wesley declared for the draft. This is true. So when he came in here, he still had a the top returning receiver. What would have been the probably the top returning receiver in the nation based on production last year. Yeah, and then that guy was gone. And Alan Bowman was still healthy. And Alan Bowman was healthy. Alan Bowman yeah. was between injuries. He was uh, fully recovered from the uh, deflated lung. Yeah, and so you know, I, I think when again in the context that Matt Wells said, it's a reload, not a rebuild. He had a, a promising freshman quarterback that was healthy, and he had one of the nation's top returning receivers. He had a experienced offensive line, and now you have uh, you don't. That receiver walked out the door a couple of weeks later. The quarterback got hurt three games into the season, and your offensive line, quite frankly, I think has been a little bit of a disappointment. It hasn't really given you a consistent, uh, you know, consistent push. Yeah. Against Arizona and against uh, and against OU. I mean, if anything, at least it'll it'll be the same going into Oklahoma State. That that that's the one thing you can at least look at is now it's starting to at least get a little bit cohesive because now they're playing with each other. So you got that going for you. But you got Terrence Steele back. Yeah, you got so, Terrence Steele yeah. back. Hopefully, Jack Anderson will play, and then hopefully you don't have to move guys around. I think that's going to at least help you a little bit. Uh, Jed Duffy gives you at least that running factor, so that helps you a little bit as well. Uh, I agree with you, Don. He certainly won the press conference. If there's a coach that does that, the only one I could think of that might do something like that would be Mike Leach. But, I mean, he says whatever he wants. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like you. See, uh, <laughs> now, i got a few questions left here from our buddy uh, Ryan Hyatt of Ryan Hyatt. Oh, Lord. Uh, let's get, <laughs> do, do you have any, any other questions you want to get to? I have Ryan? some from an unnamed listener. Will we see more soft taco shells or footballs thrown on Saturday? Boy, that's a good question. Um, considering it's an 11 a.m. game. 11 a.m. game. I don't know how much tortilla throw in there will be. I mean, people will be drinking mimosas. 
So you got that going for you. Maybe some breakfast burrito people that don't want to eat breakfast burritos can throw that tortilla out. That'll depress I'm thinking, me. I'm, th- I'm thinking you're going to see more footballs thrown on Saturday than you are uh, tortillas. I think so, too. Because, uh, you know, here's the thing. kind of To bring it back to a serious vein, yeah. with the loss at Arizona and the big loss at Oklahoma um, and the 11 a.m. kickoff, which Tech fans uh, don't like, don't like yeah. complain about, uh, I the the crowd uh, crowd on Saturday could be uh, they're probably Texas Tech probably kind of keeping his fingers crossed over there. Well, the the one the, helpful thing the is turnout is going to be the, the one helpful thing is still water's pretty close, so that helps you a little bit. It's not like you're <laughs> so you're talking about getting help from the folks in Orange. Huh? Well, here's the thing, Don. I mean, if you're let's just be honest here, if, if we're kind of Throwing this out here, if you have an 11 a.m. game against Lamar, you think everyone's going to come out from Lamar to come and watch this game at 11 a.m.? No. It's the opponent, no. the Big 12. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's certainly going to be a little bit better than, say, an 11 a.m. game between, I don't know, Texas Tech and UTEP. Yeah. There's going to be some more yeah. people. And one other thing, since you kind of got me on a soapbox now, what time do people start tailgating? It's like if for a 7 p.m. game. For a 7 p.m. game or for an 11 a.m. game? No, for a 7 p.m. game. Ah, because that's you know, the thing. It, it varies. I, th- I think for a seven p.m. game, though, people a lot, you know, a lot of people are really fired up and they want to be out there. I don't know, one o'clock on Saturday. Yeah, you know, some some people come in, drive in, and they're here the night before, and they want to be out there early. They want to be out there, spend all day. So you're telling me they want to get there before eleven a.m. Done? It's just there's not. A game I think if it's I think if it's a seven p.m. game. Yeah. Especially in years when people are fired up, maybe yeah. that's not necessarily the case this year. But for a seven p.m. game, I think I think there's still hardcore fans that uh, they want to spend, they want to make it a day at the campus. Especially people who drive in, especially people who are coming in from uh, across the state, who kind of you know yeah. not not just be at the stadium, yeah. Yeah, but, the but go back and see the see the campus and kind of reminisce. I don't know. It, it to me, it just seems like a really good situation. You get your game done early. And you get to watch everything else, either from your tailgate or you can go home and watch the rest of the slate. I don't yeah. know. For the, you're talking about for the 11 a.m. Yeah, game. yeah, for yeah. the 11 a.m. Yeah. game for the fans. I mean, I understand if you don't want to wake up early, but if you're going to go tailgate, again, I was just kind of bringing up this point. If you're going to get there at 1 o'clock, how many hours is that away from 11? I mean, and, and you get to watch a game at that point and get everything done? I don't know. Yeah. Again. Okay, so on to – Yeah, sorry. sorry. Grinding no, 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 my gear. Good. Grinding my gears. <laughs> a Don Williams story. So there you go. Our buddy Ryan Hyatt asked, uh, and these are not all necessarily football questions. Oh, absolutely. This, is, this is an interesting, because I, re- I really want to answer this one, because I got an answer for a couple of his oh, questions. Okay. Who is the strangest person you've ever interviewed? I'll, I'll, let you oh, think if man. You, I'll let you think if you have one, Carlos, because I've got one. The strangest person you I've go ever ahead. interviewed was Oil Cam Boyd, former oh. Major League pitcher for the... Red Sox and I believe Expos and for the Texas Rangers. The can came through here about 20 years ago, came to Lubbock. That was back when Lubbock had the crickets playing independent minor league baseball. And the can was going to own a team in his hometown of uh, Greenville, Mississippi. And so he was, um, I think the president of the Texas Louisiana League was kind of taking him around to a couple, two or three of the cities to kind of see what it was like and see some of the other operations and so i got to do an interview with oil cam boyd and we met at a hotel here in town and the can was the he was compelling he was interesting he was friendly but the can was the only interview subject that i can ever remember that i 
after I talked to him, I then went and asked someone else, I think someone in the league, can you assure me that that was Orkan Boyd? He was the only person I ever talked to that I thought might be an imposter. I wanted to be 100% sure that I was legitimately talking to Orkan Boyd because, uh, no, like I say, it was, it was, he was not uh, unfriendly or uh, or anything like that, but um, he was just a unique, interesting personality. I'm going the same route as you. The, uh, the only thing is I cannot for the life of me think of the name of this guy, but he was a home run hitter. Looked like the dude would eat about 20 hot dogs, probably smoke a cigar and drink a beer before he played a game. I cannot remember his name, but he led the San Angelo Colts back in San Angelo as a home run hitter. And back when I believe when they were in the United League before they disbanded and obviously are not there anymore. I cannot remember his name, but you talked to the guy and he just said, you know what, I just... Oh, and then he even told me this story where I guess this is the whole reason that we, why we all thought he did this was he told me every time he gets a home run, his, uh, I guess, legion of, I guess, road roadies or whatever, I guess the the fans that kind of followed him, the, the female fans, would bring him a cake. He'd get a cake every time he'd get a home run. Well, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I just... Chicks dig the long ball, right? Apparently, and cake, and he loves cake. And th- that's... Man, it's killing me that I cannot remember his you name may, right you, now. No, you, you made me think of another one. It's, it's God, weird how we're all... It's, it's weird, though, how all these people we're talking about are independent... They're involved with independent minor league baseball. And you made me... Sparked another memory. I, I interviewed... Uh, what was his name? Kenny Cranebuehl, the pitcher who was traded for like a barrel of catfish or something. He was traded from one Texas Louisiana League team to another, and one of the returns, I think he, he might have been uh, the Mobile Bay Sharks might have been been involved because he was traded literally for like a uh, you know styrofoam cooler of catfish. Was the, he went to one team, the other team sent a big mess of fish to the other. That was what the trade was. He, it was uh, it was kind of a uh, well-known story back in the day. That was 20 or so years ago. Oh, it's going to kill me that I cannot remember this guy's name, but, man, he'd look like if... Well, well yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you keep thinking. Meanwhile, oh, I'm, I'm texting people. I, I have not found it on the Internet right now because it's the San Angelo Colts, Don. <laughs> Their website is gone now, so I... I had also asked, do you store important documents in your oven? No, I don't store important documents in your oven, but I will tell you this. When I did my will several years ago, mm-hmm. uh, the attorney who did it said you can store your important documents in the in the freezer. Because and the reason why? Because if you have a house fire, uh, they'll be safe and they'll be protected in there. That doesn't mean you need to store all your important documents in the freezer. But if you have like uh, one or two very important things, put them in the freezer. Again, if your house burns down, the documents will still be there. So I guess if you don't feel like buying a safe, I suppose. I, mean, I guess I don't. I don't have a safe. Yeah. Well, I guess. Everyone's worth. I don't have that document in my freezer. I guess maybe I should. Well, the other thing too is, what if you forget it? You're trying to look for it, and you just think it's I don't know, like some some cheese pizza or something, you know, because it's frozen. You don't know what it is at that <laughs> there you point. Go. What else? That is all I have. Unnamed listener didn't send anything else. So. All righty. Well, I think we're good then. I think we're good for this week. Again, uh, Saturday, 11 a.m. at Jones Stadium. It's Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Red Raiders uh, hosting the Cowboys, trying to duplicate what they did last year when they went up to Stillwater and won 41-17. to We do this again every week. Uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, 
You can send questions or topics of conversation to uh, my Twitter, at AJ underscore Don Williams, or to Carlos's Twitter, which is at CM Silva Jr. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for uh, listening in. So uh, for Carlos, I'm Don Williams. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.